You're listening to Decidedly Dry. I'm your host, Jess Steitzer. This is a sober podcast where we actually focus on the good. Amazing, right? We spark inspiration. We try to provide some hope and we help motivate you. I promise to always keep it real, provide some dry humor, and remind you every single episode why sobriety is truly a superpower. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, just head on over to decidedlydry.com. Thank you so much for pushing play today. Let's get started. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 20. Oh my goodness. I think I told you on the last episode, I have been looking forward to 20 because it just seems like such an exciting milestone. I'm a dork and numbers are cool, so bear with me. (laughs) But today marks episode 20, which also means that this is the last episode of season one. Now, don't worry, we're not going anywhere, but we might take a little break in between the seasons and then we will be back. We're not going anywhere. I'll say that again. (laughs) So I thought that it would be really exciting to bring to you perhaps one of, I don't know, my role models, my idols, someone that I've really looked up to since the start of my journey. And I can't even believe she agreed to be on the show, to be honest. I was pinching myself when we were exchanging emails. But today, I am so excited and honored to introduce to you Jolene Park. Jolene Park is someone that you probably, I hope, have maybe heard of. She is a functional nutritionist specializing in gray area drinking. Jolene stopped drinking in 2014 and has studied the functional impact of food, emotions, environments, and movement in relationship to our physical bodies, which she speaks about in her TED Talk. That's right, Jolene Park is a TED speaker. She did her TED Talk about gray area drinking, and if you have not seen it, I will add the link to the show notes. Do yourself a favor and watch it. Jolene is the founder of Healthy Discoveries, where she coaches companies and individuals to develop a more complete view of well-being. Um, Again, all those links will be in the show notes. Um, You guys, she's amazing. She is inspiring. She is incredibly knowledgeable. I think I told her about 400 times how much I adored her and how nervous I was to be talking to her. So this is a really, really big treat to have her here on the show. Here's Jolene. Well, hello, everybody. This is Jess with Decidedly Dry, and I am so, so excited to introduce my guest this week. Today, I have Jolene Park. Hi, Jolene. Hi, Jess. It's great to be with you. I am, I've already told you before we hit record how much of an honor this is because you have been one of like my, oh my gosh, how should I put it without being too embarrassing? Like sober idols, (laughs) someone I looked up to from the beginning. So thank you for being here. Oh, well, thank you for asking me. And it's, it's so lovely to hear. I'm excited to jump into this conversation. Me too. Well, I don't know if you've listened to the show before, but you know, I kind of mimic what other sobriety shows out there do where we just kind of start with the basics. So for those of you that have not heard of you, could you just share a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you live, what you do for a living? Sure. Well, I work with gray area drinkers. So I work one-on-one as a coach and I've been doing that for the last six years. And I identify myself as a former gray area drinker. So I quit drinking almost eight years ago now. Um, 
and before, before this niched work with gray area drinking, which we can really kind of unpack in a minute, I was in corporate wellness. So I've been in the health and wellness, the nutrition industry. Um, well, I got certified in nutrition in 1999. So that dates myself. <laughs> um, I started my company in 2001 and have been an entrepreneur and working in corporate wellness in the health industry, uh, you know, as my own boss since 2004. Wow. Wow. And so I'm just going to tell listeners how I discovered you. So I, back in my early days of, um, kind of my sober journey, when I was sober curious, I joined a 21 day reset program through sober sis and sober sis sends out daily emails when you do the challenge. And one of the daily emails had a link to your Ted talk. And I remember it was just kind of like all the light bulbs went off, you know, when you, you read that book that you relate to, or you hear that story and your talk specifically was, I just felt connected. I felt heard. So take us back to the Ted talk. When, when did you do it? Was it 2017? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And so it was all about gray area drinking. And if you're okay, we could just dive right into that and we can touch on your story. However you want to start. Sure, sure. So, uh, yes, so the TED Talk was very much around um, so much of the premise of my work, which is based in physiology and the neurobiology, the neuroscience, which I personally love. I find it fascinating. I always have for, you know, a couple decades. It's been where my my professional study has been. Um, And then it really niched when I quit drinking myself in 2014, because that's what I went back and really pulled on. It's like, okay, I've studied this. I've learned it. I've been teaching it. Um, and applying, you know, different pieces over the years to my own life. But now that I've made this really resolute decision to quit drinking, um, I didn't go to a treatment center. I didn't go uh, to 12 step meetings and I, I'm not against them in any way. And we can, we can talk about that. Um, it honestly didn't cross my mind. So it wasn't kind of a, a, a um, you know, this, this conscious decision of I'm not going that route. It just didn't cross my mind. It was, I had been going back and forth with drinking so much. It was a real silent struggle. Um, and so when I quit, I also quit pretty quietly. Um, and I drew on what I knew, which was the physiology. And so those, that's what I really spoke to in my Ted talk of what I did from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, in my early days, weeks, and months of not drinking was much more of a physiological approach around nutrition. I knew about brain chemistry. I knew about neurotransmitters. Um, and I've since, even since I've stopped drinking, have really learned about the somatic pieces, the polyvagal pieces, the gut brain connection. So I continue to learn and, um, and apply that. So that's, I mean, we can, we can get deeper into all of that, but, but again, my philosophy and kind of personal journey, I've always drawn from the physiological piece. And when I've spoken about that, um, not only do people identify to the gray area drinking saying, that's my story. That's how I drink. I wasn't an end stage, you know, rock bottom. I functioned as a drinker, but I also didn't drink every now and again. So there was a huge demographic that really surprised me that identified with that story. 
And then they also really were hungry for the physiological missing pieces. Uh, once we start talking about that story of like, okay, I identify this. So now what, now what do I do right. and putting in, putting in the physiology. So I I've always weaved that kind of personal story and a professional story. And the Ted talk was a bit of a, um, kind of a pinnacle of putting that together in a 15 minute thesis of here's my story <laughs> and here's the work with, with neurotransmitters and brain oh. chemistry. That's a lot to fit into 15 minutes, <laughs> right? It was. I left a lot out. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, so much. And I feel like I'm just all over the place because I'm just so excited for all these things we're going to talk about. So you mentioned you didn't really feel like you had a rock bottom, but take us back kind of the drinking days. Were there, were there flags coming up? Did you feel like people were noticing anything or were you very much just like a high functioning person where from the outside, it didn't really look like there was a problem. The latter, it definitely didn't look like it was a problem. And I feel like my drinking story, uh, I've certainly come across many people who are similar, but it's also in a way, I think sometimes a little atypical. So I did not drink young, you know, as, as a young high school student or young college student. Um, I really started drinking in my late twenties. So, uh, kind of a thread through my story is the anxiety piece. As a kid, mm. I was anxious. And one of the things I was really anxious about was throwing up. Um, I, I was, I just, I hated to throw up. And um, so I would connect that of, I don't want to drink and throw up because I knew people would drink. And <laughs> like, sure. So, yeah. so that early on was, it was such a anxious piece for me um, that I, I, I just didn't drink and didn't think much about it. Like I didn't have some of those early, like, well, I need to do this to, um, you know, get, get along socially or to relax. Mm -hmm. Like the, it just, it wasn't my story. Um, and I don't feel like I was a nerd, you know, like kind of an outcast. I mean, I certainly was sure. out at high school parties. I was in a sorority in college. Um, but like everything, you know, any organization, any city or company or community, yes, there's drinkers, um, but there's also people who aren't big drinkers. And so I always kind of found that um, in high school and college was doing, you know, again, going to the formals and, and mm -hmm. that whole thing, uh, you know, I was certainly in kind of the social scene, but, but found, uh, you know, friends and other people who are in that too, but also weren't big drinkers. You know, there were certainly the people in college and my sorority who were big drinkers, but it just didn't seem like a thing of like, oh, because we, you know, my little kind of group of friends aren't big drinkers. We didn't associate. It just kind of wasn't like a dividing point. So that's where I feel like my story can be a little, um, you know, cause I, I usually hear when I coach more stories of people just really felt like in high school and college, the drinking was such a peer pressure thing. And yeah. somehow, some way, I don't know, I kind of slid past that. Um, <laughs> but I was also so scared of throwing up. So I didn't want to drink a lot of alcohol. Yeah. I mean, um, that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And don't feel like I, you know, had like an antisocial life um, because of it. Uh, but, you know, when I work with clients, I, I have certainly had clients who will tell me the same that, uh, that they weren't big drinkers in high school or college, but my question to them and what I'll share about myself is my question is, well, how did you cope? Because, mm -hmm. you know, not everyone uses alcohol as, you know, I was anxious. So the question to me then is what was I doing to cope? And so the right. answer to that is it was sugar. Um, so food and sugar were, were, that was my thing, you know, early on. Um, and, and everybody has something to some spectrum, some, you know, kind of level and, and it was sugar and, and food. Um, 
and just in kind of a like soothing coping, like, Oh, the day is over. I'm just going to eat some sugar (laughs) component. Um, but then in my late twenties, I was in a relationship that, that broke up. Um, and I was very devastated and I had a bottle of wine from a work convention that had been in my, in my kitchen. Like I was using it as a, as a decorative, you know, bottle, just sitting on the kitchen counter. (laughs) And I remember it was very, I remember it very vividly. And it was like, well, you know, when people are upset, they, they have a drink and I'm like, I'm just going to open this bottle and quit using it as decoration. And it wasn't like, I, I mean, I certainly had had drinks. It wasn't like I was a complete teetoler, you know, I, I, yeah. I had drinks. I just, it just wasn't, you know, my, my go-to thing. Sugar was my go-to thing. But at that point, after that breakup, I opened that bottle of wine and I was in pain, emotional pain. I was in grief. I was anxious. I was upset. I was in a real emotional state. And I remember drinking that white wine and immediately got that buzz. And it was like, what have I been doing with sugar? Like this, this is is way more effective. (laughs) This is way more effective. It's quick. It's immediate. I love how I feel. And I hadn't really, you know, before I always was kind of pushing it away. Like, I don't want to drink too much. And, And then I got like that buzz, that feeling, that effect. And I loved it. And, um, and that's what started it. And that's how I started using wine from my late twenties into my early forties when I quit and it escalated, it just kept escalating and progressing, you know, through kind of that 15 year period of using it that way. You know, when I was wanting to shut my mind off, when it'd been a really, you know, I was frustrated or just that emotional angst or anxiety or that hypervigilant, like putting out a lot of effort through the day. It may not have necessarily been like a negative thing, but I just want to like, you know, settle it down, call, turn my brain sure. off. Yeah. As I often say, um, I went to wine and it just became my go-to thing and, and it clicked and that's how I started drinking. Wow. Wow. I mean, and that's, that's so interesting how a, it came later, but B how it was like, okay, well now this is my off switch. Like this is, this is how I relax. This is part of my routine. Like this is what I earn at the end of the day, you know? And our brains, man, they're pretty smart. They connect that, right? <laughs> so they immediately are like, okay, this is what we're doing now, right? Yeah. And I, I have a working theory around that. I, I can't kind of pull the exact science, but, but my working theory of it is that when we are in that chemical state, so when cortisol's high, adrenaline's running, stress hormones, there's, you know, different hormones are released in our body when we're in grief, when there's loss, when, And, um, when there's anxiety and when we enter alcohol, it's like the circuits light up. And I can see that, you know, talking with clients, of there are, you know, things that, um, either, you know, in high school, or there's like just that feeling of being left out or some sort of emotional pain, or even later could be like a miscarriage or the end of a relationship, like for me or a divorce or a death or, um, those tend to be when, when I hear, when you look at the stories and kind of lay the timeline out that there are some pivotal markers of emotional pain and the chemicals are different in the body. And when we enter the chemical of alcohol, it lights up the circuits and, and we're off and running. Hmm. So that's the the physiology of where alcohol my theory, um, yeah. you know, can start to take hold when, when we're really honest about, you know, it's, it, sure. it's more of a, it's, it's that end. And this is the neurobiology. It's more of an internal inside thing than an outside thing. So, you know, people will talk about marketing and sure. I mean, I, I get it, but you know, I never like saw a billboard and said, oh, I'm going to go drink or flipping through a magazine or even I watched sex yeah. in the city, you know, that whole thing, but it wasn't like, 
that I would, I mean, the, 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 the piece was inside mm-hmm. and it was the inside grief and pay, like, I wanted that inside effect. It wasn't something outside of me, um, that connected with, with the drinking. Yeah. Wow. And so did you take breaks towards the end or any time during your drinking chapters? I mean, did you take breaks and notice how you felt different? Tell me a little bit about that. I took breaks all the time and I'm glad I did. Yeah. Um, so this was, you know, the, the gift of being in wellness and nutrition. And it's also another way I slid under the radar. Um, cause I was doing nutrition coaching. I was teaching wellness in, you know, going out to companies at a long-term contract with a company on the East coast. And they, I'd go into their locations all around the U S and do onsite, uh, workshops for three hours. And I would talk about the, the, um, neurotransmitters mm. and around like establishing peak performance and productivity. And so what I talked about in the Ted talk, I was teaching in corporate, but I would frame it more around being a really productive employee. Now I frame it around <laughs> your craving brain without it shifted a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So that's where I was doing the work. And I knew that. Um, so it was, it wasn't, odd for me then to say, I'm doing a nutrition challenge, or mm. I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to step back and really kind of tighten up the, uh, um, I'm going to do kind of this wellness focus thing for the next month or something. And then, oh, by the way, uh, you know, alcohol is not part of it. And people would be like, yeah. okay, makes sense. Like, I, know, I know what you do and that makes sense. And you're, you're really interested in all of this. And so, so it was easy for me to stop drinking. There wasn't kind of a lot of pushback of, why aren't you drinking? What is like, sure, Oh yeah, Jol- Jolene sure. works in wellness, but behind it, what was silent and quiet. And I never spoke out loud was, uh, it's like, I can't keep drinking like this. Right. Um, cause it was very easy for me to drink a bottle of wine and a little bit more very frequently and, um, and feel so awful the next day mm-hmm. and not talk about it. What I would hide was the next day, how awful I felt I'd show up right. at meetings and, you know, nutrition consultations with clients feeling like I'm going to throw up because I drank too much the night before and I'm doing nutrition consulting. Right. So <laughs> it would be just this internal, I, you know, conversation. I can't, uh, this is it. Like we're gonna, I'm going to stop. And I yeah. would, and I would stop for weeks or months. I did a yoga training one time and stopped for 18 months. So there were a lot of stops and, and I'm really glad I had, you know, those accumulate and those, mm-hmm. those matter. So, um, but then I'd go back to, then I'd be like, well, why, why am I doing this? I don't need to be so all or nothing. Like I can have a drink. So I'd go back to drinking and very quickly go back to right where I left off. And then, um, yeah, you know, it would, it would even escalate from, from there. So it, it definitely increased the more the years went on and the more I stopped, it just mm-hmm. kept increasing when I'd go back. I relate to so much of that part of your story, because I too, um, kind of came from a wellness and fitness background. And so it's interesting hearing that because a lot of my story is in line with that in that, like, you know, I ran marathons, I trained clients, I ran a boot camp. you know, like there could be no way that, you know, I had a quote unquote problem or something like I was healthy and that's what it looked like from the outside, you know? And so I too, I would take little breaks, but it wasn't uncommon for me to do a 30 day squat challenge or let's cut booze for this long, you know, and it is interesting probably how we were off the radar because we probably knew what we were supposed to be doing because we were in the health and wellness field. So that's so interesting to me that so many of our stories are so in line, you know, so relatable. Oh, 
when you took those breaks, did you get pushback from people? Did they of like, why are you not drinking? You know, from time to time, I think it wasn't, it wasn't unheard of me to be doing some sort of challenge. And so I think people were like, oh, Jess, you know, yep, she's probably doing something. But on the other hand, you know, it was interesting how I felt so proud when I would remove alcohol for let's say a week. And I would casually mention it as I'm running with a friend. And so for me, when I look back now, I'm like, wow, like that's interesting to me that I was so proud that I felt so good. And I'm sharing it with a friend that now looking back, I'm like, wow, was that maybe a, not a cry for help, but you know, me putting myself out there, like, Hey, I, I actually feel better without this. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> Well, I think that's important for people to hear because we do respect healthy behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when people like, if you hear somebody's training for a marathon, people like, oh, that's so cool. Like, wow, that's a big, or whatever. I mean, it doesn't have to be a marathon. And even for ourselves, you know, when Mm -hmm. we're, we're doing that healthy, whatever it is and healthy is subjective, Sure, (laughs) you know, we could really (laughs) unpack that, but, but yeah, I think when we look at others, there's some respect and pride and, and, um, and then also for ourselves. And I think that's important to hear because there can become this narrative of how can I stop drinking and everybody, but when it is framed around that for the health of it, there's both respect for ourselves and looking at others who do that. And that's absolutely, I mean, the, the, there's a perception that, uh, you know, the record's going to stop and everyone's going to look at us and, and hassle us, but actually there's, you know, sober for the health of it is, Absolutely, is out there. It really is a thing. It really is. Well, let's jump into gray area drinking. Cause that is how I know you is the expert of gray area drinking. So for anybody that's listening, do you mind just defining it? Like what is, what makes you a gray area drinker? What is it? So how I define it is, um, it's, you know, it's the gray area between end stage, uh, drinking and that's subjective how, you know, one person's end stage might not be somebody else's, but end stage, um, type drinking and, um, every now and again, drinking, there's this broad, long spectrum between there. That's a real gray area. So end stage, uh, you know, we can think just stereotypical kind of catastrophic where, um, you know, physically somebody just can't, they can't go without alcohol. Um, so, and, you know, needs a detox and might go into physical medical piece, like a seizure or something. So that could be, you know, a real extreme. The other extreme of that is somebody has a couple of drinks, like no more than a handful of drinks over the period of 12 months. Um, So those are both extremes, but there are certainly people that fall into those extremes. Um, But then in between that, there's this whole gray area. And so I just don't, uh, you know, one of my, one of my things I'm real passionate about is I just don't think there's two buckets. You're either in this bucket or you're that bucket in that bucket where most people are is in this gray gray spectrum. So, um, you know, the other piece that I identify, especially working with clients is, you know, do you have the capacity and ability to stop drinking gray area drinkers can physically stop drinking, meaning they, they aren't going to go into a physical detox. Um, 
and there's no moral judgment on that. It's just from like a kind of a physiological definition. So physiologically, if you're, you know, have that capacity to stop, you're not, it's not far enough down the spectrum where, you know, there's more medical intervention in place. And so I didn't make this up. I, <laughs> I didn't come up with it. So being in the nutrition world, that being my primary study um, for over 20 years in 2010, the American dietary guidelines um, started looking at alcohol as part of just intake, you know, guidelines. And so they wrote it in, they said, if we're going to talk about food and, you know, stuff, people are drinking, including alcohol, we can't, we, you know, we can't, we have to include alcohol. We can't ignore it. And there's this gray area of drinkers that when we're talking about optimal health and disease prevention and calorie count from, you know, metabolism and, and looking at weight as dietitians, as nutritionists, we can't ignore alcohol, but there's this gray area. We're not necessarily talking about, you know, um, that end stage going to a detox center. So that's where the term gray area drinking came from was uh, dietetic nutrition research in 2010. Uh, and then it's, you know, taken hold because sometimes people will say to me, they'll comment like on the Ted talk or on my Instagram and be like, you know, you're just using this name, um, creating this name and just to avoid call, you know, saying alcoholic. And it's like, I didn't create the name no. <laughs> and, um, you know, I don't, it, the whole thing about labels and names, I, I don't know that it's, it, it's not necessary because it's very subjective, mm -hmm. um, of how to define different people feel comfortable with different definitions to, and I think it's more just to bond with other people. It's like, Oh, you're my people. That's how, right. you know, how I drank. So I think that's the benefit of labeling, but from a judgment standpoint, from a moral standpoint, from, you know, all of that, it's, it's, um, it doesn't serve anyone, but gray area drinking is it's in the medical, you know, research, especially when we talk about optimal health, peak performance, disease prevention. It's, you know, it is a thing you can go to pub bed and put in gray air drinking and find, find those papers. It is legit. It's legit. <laughs> <laughs> See, and I thought you created it, Jolene. I was such a super fan. I was like, wow, this is, this is incredible. <laughs> and I will still, um, I still think it would be a super fan, even though you didn't coin the term. <laughs> well, I knew about it from the nutrition research, um, right. but I will say what surprised me then of speaking to it, because I was at a point a year and a half into not drinking because I was already again, talking about physiology and neurotransmitters and, and there's also long stories about that too, about some, some holistic air quote recovery um, models that were using this neurotransmitter approach, you know, all of these pieces. And I was fascinated by that. And I had studied that. And so, um, I think you said before we started recording, you listened to the podcast interview I did with Holly and Laura yes. on the home podcast. And so I wrote to them in 2016 and I said, I love your podcast. They were some early pioneers with this, mm -hmm. but I said, I think you're, you know, really missing a, a crucial piece, which is the physiology. And so that's always been uh, real, my passion and, you know, doing this work is that there is this physiological piece and I'm willing and, and happy to lend my voice of, you know, look, here's my story. Mm -hmm. It's, I, I don't have a big crash and burn story. Um, and there's no doubt that alcohol is absolutely a problem, um, you know, for me, it's why I chose to quit drinking, but looking at the physiological pieces. So giving, you know, giving kind of voice to the gray area, because mm -hmm. so many people, so many women have said, that's my story. Um, and it's opened, you know, a lot of uh, where people wouldn't have looked at their relationship with alcohol before, but the next piece of it is now what, 
and right. it's the physiology. So I'm happy to speak to my story um, to then connect the physiology because just coming in and talking about neurochemistry and it's like, well, how, you know, who are you? Right. Right. <laughs> and it's like, I've had this, this actual, uh, you know, direct experience. And that's why it's so interesting to me to connect all these missing pieces. Right. Well, and I love that you pointed that out and something you said, I actually wrote the quote down from your home podcast, um, was you want, I'm going to try not to mess it up because I didn't write it down in here, but I want the teacher that has dirt under their nails. Was that it? That has grit because yeah. it shows not only vulnerability, but it makes you authentic and it makes you relatable, you know? And so I think by you, not only, you know, being so knowledgeable in this area and being able to explain things and teach people, but sharing your story gives you that whole other level, you know, of people being able to connect and believe and want to hear more. Yeah. Thank you. I, yeah. you know, those, those are the teachers and the mentors that I've been drawn to and who I've learned from. Um, and I also know from, you know, my public speaking and, and crafting presentations and things it's you, you want to um, take, it's like, here's what happened. Here's the problem. Here's the experience. And now we want to lift up and here's the hope right. with it. And right. so I always want to, you know, that's how I want. It's like, oh, I want to hear the story. Like, did you actually go through it? Or you're just intellectually talking through it and I can't connect to it. Like, wow, I feel that, that you went through it. Um, and, but now what did you do? And I want to be inspired by what you do. So that's, what's been so influential to me. And that's what I want to give back to others. Well, you're doing it. You're doing it sister. <laughs> so I would love for you to explain nourish. So you, you had great area drinking and you use this acronym of nourish. Do you mind explaining that? I know there's a lot of pieces, but it's so beautiful and so well-rounded that I'd love for listeners to learn about it. Sure. Well, I'll just quickly give the, the acronym of, of what nourish nourish is. So N is notice nature. O is observe your breath. U is unite with others. R replenish with food. I initiate movement. S sit in stillness and H harness your creativity. So with my wellness work over the years, I always, um, my foundational piece, which I really built my, my business on was this wellness wheel. Um, and so there's these 10 spokes of that, you know, a lot of people know how to eat right and exercise, but it's, they're not necessarily healthy. So I've always kind of applied that of what is the bigger picture of nourishment? Yes, it's, it, you know, matters what we're putting in our mouth, but not always, you know, we can eat all the broccoli in the world, but what's going on with the re relationships and community that impacts our immunity and our nervous system, potentially just as much as that broccoli. Um, so I've always looked at those, you know, those pieces of the relaxation side, the, uh, the play, when we work, we need to play. It's, it's that whole balance. And so I, with my Ted talk, I didn't want to, I'd done that wellness wheel for so long. It's what I'd been teaching, you know, in corporate, but I was like, I don't want to put that whole wheel up on, up on the Ted stage. Like I'm, um, and so I came up then with the acronym that, that kind of, you know, broke it down. And as a nutritionist, which again is, you know, so much that I speak to, how are you nourishing yourself and nourishment goes beyond food. So yes, it's about, um, you know, the creative side and moving your body and, connecting with community and nature has a huge impact. So 
there, I just feel like there's, there's some universal threads and things that repeat over and over and over, no matter what we're talking about, emotional pieces or physical pieces or whatever symptom or whatever complaint. And these are some things that um, can be applied over and over nature and breath and understanding good food. And so that's, that's how the nourish acronym for the Ted talk came about. I love it so much. And for me, and I mean, anyone that's sober curious, I feel like that is like your checklist. I mean, put that in your sober toolbox and just look, go down the list. You know, are you feeling stressed out? Okay. Maybe take a walk outside, go surround yourself with trees. You know, are you feeling sad? Maybe you need to unite with others, find your community, hug a friend. You know, I feel like these, this could be a checklist for someone, especially in the beginning. Don't you agree? <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, the other premise behind this of, of how I work, you know, I have some of these core philosophies of, of how I've worked over the years is a big piece of this is adding things in instead of taking things away. So when we're dealing with sugar and food and, or alcohol, and they often interchange, many people are like, have my story where they started with the food, went into the alcohol, go back to the food, started with the alcohol, quit the alcohol, go to the food. So these interchangeable pieces. And if we start pulling these out, cause the, you know, they do have big neurochemical effects on, on us and they're, they are serving an immediate positive effect, but then long-term it doesn't necessarily hold. So we're, you know, we're, we're getting something from that first drink. We're getting something from that first cookie um, that's arguably positive. But now if we take it out, there's a big vacuum and it's that what are, what's the body and the psyche really needing is, you know, is it really needing some stillness and solitude? Is it really needing connection? Is it really needing an outlet for creativity? Is it, are we just physically needing, you know, to balance our blood sugar right now? So is it physical needs? Is it emotional needs? And, and like you say, kind of asking those questions, like, what am I really, what's going to really nourish me right now? It may or may not be food, but um, but it's just, what can we add in? Cause typically when we think about health and wellness and new habits, the unconscious thing is have to take something away, can't do something deprive. And when we're taking alcohol out, that's already, you know, that can feel like a big deprivation. So now moving forward, my focus is all these things that we can add in that aren't just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vegetables in one ear, out the other. <laughs> like I want to make it really, cause that's what worked for me was, you know, in all my study of hearing about these pieces where it's like, that just blew my mind. Mm -hmm. So a story I always tell is one of the most fascinating functional medicine lectures I ever uh, sat in was a medical doctor who spent an hour lecturing about broccoli and it blew my mind, <laughs> like the <Really>? chemical <laughs> mechanism of what broccoli. Cause it's like, if I tell you right now, like, you know, just go eat some broccoli. You're like, yeah, okay, let's move on. Like that's not, but when you go in of like the, 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 um, intricate physiology and like, we can't create it in a pill, like it's mind blowing. And so when I can start to connect though, when I start to learn that for myself and then can share it with others, that's where I'm like, okay, I want to do that because that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so it's connecting. We all know about, you know, go out in nature or go for a walk. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And on with the next thing this afternoon, this afternoon, right. but there's physiology is really cool. And that's how I've gotten so passionate and excited about things. It's how I've stuck with not drinking. And, um, and it's what I find, you know, teaching and coaching others. What really helps is to really learn that physiology. Now I feel like I got to go buy some broccoli. <laughs> I'm just curious. Is there one piece of your nourish acronym that you struggle to get in personally? 
That's a great question. I would say it's the creative hmm. process. Interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's a great curious. question. Yeah. For mm-hmm. me, that was the one that was the easiest for me because I like to say I replaced my wine glass with a paintbrush. I actually just said that on a different episode, but for me, it was finding those activities. Okay. What can I, what can I do to stay busy? Like we talk about this magical time that we're gifted when we quit drinking because so much of our day was spent thinking about it or doing it. And then it's like, Oh, it's four o'clock. What the heck am I going to do for the rest of the day? (laughs) And so for me, that piece, um, was crucial and, and, and came naturally, but, um, was one that I needed to continue to keep filling. So it's interesting for me to kind of ask people like, which one do they not struggle with, but actually have to work to keep in and practice. Well, I love that you're a painter. What kind of painting? Mainly watercolors. So what do you notice by adding that in? Peace, peace. And, um, I think it turns my brain off a little bit. It lets me express myself, but, um, it also distracts me. So, you know, I'm not thinking about wine. I'm thinking about what's going on the paper. So does that make sense? Total sense. (laughs) And, and this is the important piece because, uh, you know, so so most people, they'll, it's like, oh, broccoli, oh, breath work. Oh, and, and working with clients and, you know, with myself too, it's like, but what happened? So if you ate the broccoli or if you sat down and did some watercolors or did yoga, what did you notice? What happened? And, you know, three things can happen of, um, I hated it and, you know, felt worse, (laughs) um, or I didn't really notice anything or it's like, oh, my mind started to shut off Mm. and I felt that peace. And I, and so it's not that it's about painting or broccoli. You know, I want to just, as people are listening, if they think they need to go eat broccoli or paint or, you know, it's not, it's about when you do something, everyone out there listening, what happens when you do it? And often we're doing a lot of things just to, because it's like, well, it sounds good. And I hear about it. It's on Instagram and I should, and I'm supposed to, and it's like, but do you like it? And clients are always like, what do you mean? Do I like it? Like, I, yeah. <laughs> because are we getting an effect? Because when we drank, we got an effect. And so now when you paint, do you get an effect? And so mm-hmm. that's, that's the important, that's the important work. That's the somatic work. It's the ner- it's the regulating tracking your nervous system work mm-hmm. of what, what what's going to really nourish you, not intellectually, right? Do you actually notice something happening? Like when we have a drink, something, we notice something happens in our body. Hmm. Hmm. So, so good. Well, there was one more big piece that I kind of wanted to talk to you before I have to let you go. Um, recently you took a sabbatical. It was one month of, and correct me if I'm wrong, but no work, no scrolling. And one thing that you pointed out was you had gotten to a point where social media and the scrolling kind of felt like day drinking. Do you mind kind of elaborating on that? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, what do I want to say on this? So much. <laughs> yeah, I know. We should have started so, with this, right? <laughs> right, so much. So where I wrote, when I wrote that post, I was out to Sunday brunch in Charleston um, with some friends. And a couple had some drinks, some mimosas and, and nothing, you know, nobody was drunk. Nobody was sloppy. Like, you know, they had a mimosa 
and then maybe, you know, got a second round or whatever. And so, and it was, it was a great brunch. It was really lovely, but I remember having the thought of, oh my gosh, if I would have had two mimosas, which again, I'm eight years away from having a drink, but if I would have had, you know, two mimosas and the brunch was over, because you know it didn't go on into the afternoon that I would have gone home and opened a bottle of wine and drank all afternoon like that would have set the stage for just day drinking um by myself at home and um and I went home and you know pulled up Instagram and started scrolling for like an hour and I felt just kind of that all of a sudden I was unmotivated like I needed to get stuff done and just kind of felt out of you know the way if I would have had a couple of drinks and I was like what am I doing like I was just saying how it's like oh I'm so glad I didn't drink <laughs> and then I just scrolled my phone and it felt like I'd been drinking so that was kind of a realization but it was also I wrote that post um, I knew I was preparing to take a, a month off mm-hmm. and so I was really kind of hyper aware of my phone use and and all of that so it was right on my radar so I, I um, prepared and planned I spent a lot of March. I mean, it was, it was a lot of work to work one month to, you know, get everything set to take the next month off. Um, and it was wonderful. It was, I've, I've never taken that chunk of time off. I've, tr- I've vacationed, I've, you know, done that, but, but I always would like check into email or, you know, I might sure. talk to a client or, but I'd never just cleared the decks. And, um, so the first four days, it was interesting. There was like kind of that phantom finger where it was like totally. that habitual, I was like, but, you know, and I like clicked Facebook and I didn't see anything, but it was, and then I realized it was like, what did I do? What am I doing? Yeah. You know, like I was sitting at a red light and I picked up my phone and clicked. And so I was like, this is disturbing to me. Sure. I'm so I did that like once a day for kind of the first four days. And then after it was, I stopped thinking about it. I didn't do any more of kind of that mm. phantom hitting. And I could feel my nervous system. I could feel my brain start to just settle a little bit more and more into that. Like, okay, what do I want? What, like what I was just saying to you, like, what am I needing right now? And I did do some painting. I did. I just kind of was let the day flow. It was like, you know, I want to go to the beach and walk. I want to paint. I want to just take a nap. And I could hear that more when I wasn't constantly um, looking at my phone and my, when my brain could just discharge. So it was a great experiment. Um, I, I want to do it regularly. I highly recommend yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, that's so inspiring because I feel like when I read that post and just kind of following, um, you know, your, your previous posts following up the sabbatical or after I started really kind of thinking about it. And I was like, you know, it's interesting how personally, I've noticed, how do I put this? I feel like I'm putting rules on my social media checking and my phone and my screen time like I used to do with my drinking. You know, it was no drinking before 5 p.m., you know, only drinking on the weekend. I would always come up with these, you know, quote unquote rules. And I'm noticing I'm doing that with social media. So I started creating rules almost for, my own screen time, my own social media scrolling. Um, I was setting a timer for my apps. I was removing apps from my phone so that I had to check them on my laptop, you know, which were all kind of flags, you know, it started making me a little more aware of my own, you know, practice. I don't want to say practice, but usage of my phone. Yeah. I, and I was doing the same and it wouldn't work. Was it working for you? No, I already deleted the limit. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. 
<laughs> so I, I've had the yeah same experience. So what I found by just going, you know, just all or nothing with it, kind of like I'm, I'm either drinking or I'm not drinking by taking that whole month off it, um, well, it's called the dopamine fast. So, you know, there was a fast from kind of that dopamine. I mean, that's like the finger going to the, I am like, what am I doing? Like that's that dopamine hit. Um, And I do feel better because I was kind of like, how am I going to come back and re-enter this? Um, But I don't feel as kind of like that hyper, like I've got to look, I've got to look. Um, I feel much better about like, I can just put on airplane mode. And, but before I was doing what you were doing before I took the long 30 day break, I couldn't do that. And now I feel like I've kind of unhooked from it and it's easier to do. So it's, I mean, it's, it's a tricky thing because it's like food, you know, where alcohol, we can just quit completely, but we have to eat and technology. Like I did, I didn't shut my phone down completely. Like I needed my map app, you know, to drive around. (laughs) There's a meditation app that I really like. And it's like, I want to, I want to listen to that. So I was very intentional about exactly what I wanted to look at the weather, you know, to Mm -hmm. see what the temperature, like, do I want to go out and walk right now? So I was very intentional. Like I'm looking at this as a a way to help adapt of like what I'm uh, and I was listening and learning, um, I was listening to a neuroscience podcast about social media detox. And she talked about adapting versus maladapting. So for me, scrolling Instagram, you know, on and on, that's like a maladaptive thing, but looking at my maps, that's an adaptive. It helps me adapt to like, get to the street I need to. So taking the break, I, it was very helpful. Yeah. And it's almost like when you were describing it like that, it's like, there's a purpose and an end result for me, you know, opening my app, map, my map. So I know where I'm going and it's going to get me there and it's done. My weather, exactly it. I'm going to look what the weather's like. It's sunny. I can go walk, close it down. But with social media, there's no end. You can just keep going. Yeah. And it's, it's coming at us. It's a barrage. It's a fire hose where it's like, you can go in and look at the weather and it's, we're curating. We're saying this is, you know, I, and then you can, you can get out, but when it's just constantly fire hose at you and it does mess with the brain. Um, so I did, you know, I, like I said, I found a podcast that talked about that and was really interested in learning more. We start to lose our choice mechanism, our impulse, because we're just, you know, we just click the next thing and click the next thing and not kind of what you're saying of like thinking I need a map and kind of this conscious choice process, which gets a little scary. Uh, it um, is scary. Did you watch that one Netflix show about social media? I can't think I, of what it's called. This, I think it's the social dilemma. Yes. I haven't watch watched it? it. I haven't watched it. Okay. Be careful. Cause that, <laughs> that was one of those ones where my phone is sitting by me, kind of like that phantom finger, like you were talking about or phantom touch where I'm watching this show. That's telling me how addictive it is and how it just gets in. And I'm like, I can't look at my phone. I can't, it's right there, but I'm thinking about it. And it's just kind of crazy when we become aware of, you know, things that we're doing and habits. And I think in sobriety, we're, we're open to more awareness and how can we get better? How can I be better and do better? So it's no, no surprise, I guess that we're kind of, you know, touching these categories now. Well, and from the brain chemistry and, you know, nervous system regulation, social media, it does scramble our brain. Um, that's, <laughs> that's not the scientific way to say it, but uh, I, I might do a workshop on it. I might do a virtual workshop to talk through a little bit more about that, about just choice making and impulse and, 
what it does to the neurotransmitters. And so again, for me, it's social media, it's Instagram, it's Facebook, it's those social media pieces. But um, there were, you know, cause I was doing some, some research, I was doing some, some work, I was interested in this topic. So I would specifically, you know, I would go on Google and like, I'm, you know, doing some online research or I would, I just look at my email once a week. Um, so I was on my phone, but I was, it was very curated and it was very intentional about I'm choosing there's this specific topic that I, you know, want to get some research papers on and that didn't mess me up. But when it was being thrown at me, like a fire hose of you're just scrolling these feeds, that's what, that's what starts to, and, and I, I would argue that it plays into drinking. Um, I think yeah. it's, you know, almost, a, a the gateway <laughs> yeah. that it, it's like, what are we searching for? What are, what are we trying to reach outside of ourselves to regulate our internal state? It's, it can be the same thing. So I, you know, I'd encourage people to, to play with airplane mode or taking some weekends off or, yeah. um, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a real curious experiment to, to notice what happens when you do it. Absolutely. Jolene, I could talk to you for like four more hours. This has been so fun, <laughs> but I know we're kind of coming to the end of our chat. So for anybody that's listening, um, I'm curious what you would have to say to them if I asked you. So if they're feeling inspired and they want to make a change, what would be the advice that you would give them as far as sobriety? I know we've kind of touched on a few different topics, but if they're sober curious, what would you tell them? To learn about the physical side of things. And what I mean by that is, you know, a balanced blood sugar and regular sleep and moving your body and community. So community impacts our nervous system. It's the mirror neurons. We eye to eye contact vocal tone, you know, our nervous system sync up with other nervous systems. So learn about the physical pieces of being around other people, um, what you eat. I'm not talking restrictive, you know, diet, but, um, but hydrating and sleeping and, uh, you know, if there's any kind of breath work or all of those pieces, even the creative. So having things in our hands, paintbrushes and even like Play-Doh or like what, you know, yeah. it's that there there's nerve endings right in the, our palms that go right to our brain. So learn about that stuff, get inspired by that, because then it's not like, I can't drink, I can't drink, I can't drink. It's like, Oh, these, cause the neuroscience is, is that when you change the body, you change the mind. So start getting interested, curious. I mean, I have pieces, other people have stuff. There's books, there's podcasts about what you can start doing physically to add in and, um, get inspired that way, instead of looking the other direction of like deprivation, can't have alcohol. But um, the physical side is, again, this is neuroscience. This isn't just, you know, my, my opinion, but when you, <laughs> when you work with the body, um, that's what changes some of those impulses and those patterns and those habits by working with the body first. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you. Um, how do people get in touch with you? I'll of course have links in the show notes, but can you give listeners an idea of where they can find you? Yeah. So grayareadrinkers.com is my website. All my info is there. My Ted talk is up. Uh, my podcast that I did with Aiden Donnelly rally about gray area drinking. You can find the links there, uh, other interviews and videos. And I have, I also train coaches 
uh, to work with gray area drinkers. So I have a team of master coaches that if you're interested in one-on-one coaching, you can find the master coach page uh, to reach out for, you know, free, free discovery calls with any coach that you resonate with. And then I have courses. So I have a 30 day sober choice course, and then an ultimate sober AF bundle course. Um, once you've made that decision to stop drinking of all of the pieces around sugar cravings, anxiety, perimenopause, hormones, creativity, money, uh, pieces. So all of those things, it was like, okay, I stopped drinking and wow, all these pieces are now coming to the surface. Where are the resources? And so that bundle provides a lot of those resources. Amazing. And if you are on social media, they can find you. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is it Jolene underscore park? Yeah. Correct. Okay. If you're yeah. around, right. Who knows? You might be off adventuring, <laughs> right. Taking a social media fast, yes. but yes, I am. I am on Instagram. Um, and that's where, that's where you can find me most active when, when I'm not on sabbatical. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Well, if we don't see you on there, we know that you are out there adventuring and in a good, in a good place, right? <laughs> well, where I need to be and not on Instagram as much where, uh, you know, the, the place I need to be this summer is writing my book. So I am working on the book about okay. gray area drinking. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you for uh, letting us know. That's so exciting. Do you have any, right. I, so it's, it's it new just starting now. It's been in process. So okay. I, I'm writing the book as I'm writing the book proposal. Uh, I'm Got doing it. both at the same time because I know if I, you know, put it to, I don't want to be under the pressure I was with the TED talk. I mean, I basically put that TED talk together in a couple of weeks and I don't want to have that same under the gun pressure with the book. So I'm want to get the book written as much as possible before I, so I'm, I'm doing both, but they're both coming there. It's on its way. Oh, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled, thrilled, thrilled. Keep us posted. Well, Jolene, thank you so much for taking the time. This was honestly just such a pleasure for me to have you and chat with you. And I know that you are going to inspire many and every person that pushes play on this. So thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, you can head over to decidedlydry.com. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support it is to subscribe and to leave an awesome rating or review over on Apple Podcasts. It's sure been a treat spending this time with you. And just remember, if the only thing you did today was stay sober, you are winning. I'll see you next time.